This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. The Big Interview with Offscript. Now, Rob, we're really excited for this one. Yeah, I mean, this is real old school big interview off script this because, you know, when we first launched this show, we interviewed a lot of survivors of very harrowing, traumatic wild animal attacks. Lots of shark attack survivors, a guy that got swallowed by a hippo. Um, we're, we're sort of dialing back. I've always had my eye on a bear attack survivor. And finally, we stumbled <laughs> across him. Yeah, I want to complete the set. Yeah, I want to complete the set. And uh, we found a gentleman by the name of Alex Messenger. He is a Minnesota-based author, marketeer and photographer who at the age of 17 back in 2005 was mauled by an adult grizzly bear. His memoir, The 29th Day, Surviving a Grizzly Attack in the Canadian Tundra, was a Wall Street Journal bestseller. And he was a finalist for the Minnesota Book Awards, among other accolades. His work has appeared in the New York Times, Men's Journal, National Parks Magazine, Outside and Backpacker. So we want to get straight into this story. And it's uh, it's one we're really going to you know, as we often do with these, we're really going to like dwell on the actual encounter itself and exactly what unfolded to, to sort of cause that situation where suddenly he found himself face to face with this uh, very aggressive animal. So he was 17. We go back to 2005. Alex and some friends had planned a kayaking trip through the northwest Canadian wilderness. It was the first time he'd ever done. I mean, he was can, uh, he was from Minnesota, but he, so he'd no stranger to kind of the, the great outdoors, so to speak. But he'd never been dropped in the middle of nowhere. And he was describing it to me. He said it was thousands of kilometers of just nothingness. They took a 40 minute flight uh, to this destination. They were doing like a 600 mile river trip on kayaks. It sounds amazing. And during this flight, he did not see a single sign of human activity throughout the entire 40-minute flight. Wow. Um, so they got dropped off in the middle of nowhere. And after two weeks of canoeing down river, Alex said they entered grizzly country. So they were told when they were setting out that they would be lucky just to catch, catch a glimpse of a grizzly bear because the grizzly bears in Alaska who hunt salmon on the coast, you know where they're going to be because they're, they're seasonal animals. They, they mm. come back to the same place every year. These bears inland have territories that are sort of thousands of square kilometers. Oh, so they, wow. they roam on a very vast territory. So you're lucky if you just see one. So they knew to expect some grizzlies potentially. I'm sure they were given some they briefings were told, about yeah, yeah, absolutely, what to yeah. do. They were told okay. the guidelines of the impossible to follow guidelines, which we'll get into right. when you do have an encounter like this. But they did actually see one uh, about 21 days into the trip. They saw one across the river. It made a swift exit. And Alex told his guide, Dan, that that was the only way he wanted to enjoy <laughs> spotting one in the wild. But we reached day 29 of Alex's trip. And here he explains the circumstances which led to him getting a little bit far, far closer than that. We're a group of six. Um, there's no trees for as far as you can see. So the likelihood of stumbling into a situation is just really low. We were on a layover day, which means we weren't traveling. Uh, we were just resting at camp. And basically the rest of my group decided to go up to this ridge behind our camp and, and take a look at things. And I was tired, so I stayed back to take a nap. I ended up oversleeping and suddenly woke up with this uh, odd kind of urge to get to the top of the ridge where the group was that I felt like I was late for that. So I got up and started up this ridge. Most of the guys had come back. Our guide, Dan, was the last one coming down and talked with him for a couple minutes on my way up. And basically, I climbed up to where the group had been, you know, just a few minutes prior. And it was this huge expanse of like uh, kind of 
summit sort of feel uh granite and scrub grass and boulders and things just very barren and it's the highest point around that you can see and i was just kind of in my own head thinking about what pictures i would take and was walking up uh one of these rolling granite domes at the at the summit there and i didn't realize that this 600 pound barren ground grizzly bear was walking up the other side of that ridge and we were walking straight towards each other so yeah, imagine that you've got like a dome on the landscape. You're walking one way, this bear's walking another, and you're just oh. walking oh. towards each other. Talk and about setting the scene. He yeah. really kind of painted yeah. a picture for yeah. how that would even happen. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, because there was so much so much wide open spaces, you would yeah. expect to be able to spot a big animal from <laughs> right. a long way away. But it was very a very unique set of circumstances. And Alex added that in grizzly country, you've always got to make noise as you go. So as not to surprise the bear, that's the worst thing you can do. But with these panoramic views and the fact the group had just been up on this ridge, he didn't. He wasn't thinking of considering any of the guidelines. So let's take a listen to how the situation played out. I remember seeing this fleck of brown fur at the top of the ridge, and I thought at first that it was a musk oxen, and that was a bad situation because those are dangerous animals. And then just a fraction of a second later, I realized that I was staring down this grizzly bear 30 feet in front of me so you had you'd already made inadvertently you'd made eye contact with it yeah we both just looked at each other because we both had the same reaction which was what am i looking at what's what is this thing in front of me it was just not what either of us were expecting the wind was going the wrong direction so the bear couldn't smell me and vice versa so we were just completely caught unawares 30 feet apart which is a terrible way to start a grizzly bear encounter I just imagine that you're frozen in time in a situation mm. like that and mm. just nobody makes a move for way too long. <laughs> or you just bolt. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the most counterintuitive piece of advice probably ever written to paper is when seeing a grizzly bear, do not run. Right. Uh, oh, because really? every bone in your body, yeah, if you run, if you run, you trigger a predation instinct in the bear. Of course. You just tell the bear that you are effectively prey that wants to run away from it. So it just it naturally kind of it goes into autopilot. So you're not supposed to run. You're supposed to back away quietly, which is easier said than done. So I wanted to find out from Alex whether he could remain cool enough to know what to do in that situation. So many things happening at, at once in my mind. I mean, there was a lot that was just kind of going on autopilot. My mind first like flashback to that training that we'd had. I actually imagined pulling the bear spray out and taking the safety off and, and aiming it and firing it, but um, I didn't have it with me. We had we kept it in the tents for kind of overnight um, situations, uh, so I didn't have that deterrent with me, which was a big a big problem. Um, so then I flashed back to our training where we were told what we were supposed to do. You know, without without that bear spray, we, we were told to back away slowly speak calmly to the bear, avoid eye contact. And exactly like you said, the one thing you can't do is run. Cause if you run that chase instinct is going to kick in for the bear and it's going to, um, it's going to chase after you as if you're prey. So I went through all those things in my mind. I could hear Dan saying it. And so I, I said, Hey bear, whoa bear. It's okay, bear. And I started backing away slowly and averting my gaze, trying to avoid eye contact and basically just wanted so badly to run and to get out of that situation but i knew that that's the one thing that i couldn't do so i was just trying to go through the process that we've been told and basically i faded from hey bear wool bear to yelling obscenities and help as this bear faded from stationary bluff charges where it would launch forward on its paws a couple steps and it faded to coming at me 
full speed, which 35 miles an hour, it just closes that distance incredibly quickly. Was that the most jarring thing, the speed that it moved? That was um, incredibly uh, like overpowering just seeing that thing move. I mean, coming at me, it was really intense and I could feel the ground actually shaking under its paws as it did this sort of gallop. It's a, it's a heavy, dense animal. Um, and that was crazy. But as soon as it turned after it went past me the first time, that's when it, that's when its speed was just, uh, really apparent. The agility combined with that speed combined with the weight was, was pretty awe-inspiring and terrifying. Because that's the thing you underestimate about bears. You see them lumbering around. Yeah, they look so ponderous, don't they? Yeah. yeah, but they are. If you watch any videos of them actually hunting, they are incredibly quick, yeah. agile animals for their size. And Tyson anyone, Fury. yeah, exactly, yeah. Anyone who's seen The Revenant will get an impression of the haplessness of that person in the situation. You were telling me the movie actually is something that a lot of experts have said. It's a really realistic attack yeah, scene. It is very realistic, very very realistic compared to some other films, which right. kind of you know distort it completely. But but once the bear had attacked, how did Alex go about defending himself? Yeah, when it was coming at me, you know, my brain was just kind of in its own world, uh, making decisions for me, you know, going through that training, but also just thinking of things on the fly. And I had my camera in a pelican case in my hand. And when the bear was five or 10 feet from me, which is just not anything at all, um, my hand just went back reflexively and I threw that pelican case underhand and I hit the bear square in the nose with enough force to turn its head all the way to the side. The camera case went flying and for a couple steps this grizzly bear could not see where I was and I was able to jump out of the way and dodge it on that first pass like bullfighting style and it's swinging its paws at me and snapping its jaws at me trying to trying to get at me but I was able to get out of out of its uh main path and dodge it and that's when it went past me and suddenly changed direction and was coming at me again and so i was able to do that kind of like last second dodge a few times wherein it only got me with its claws and it didn't get me with its teeth and each time though we got closer and closer and closer until i couldn't dodge it anymore like that it was absolutely terrifying i went from this is a terrible situation what's going to happen to this feeling that I was absolutely about to die and just was completely overwhelmed with this sense of, of loss and that this is not how I was supposed to die and that this was all wrong. This was not what was supposed to be happening. Those thoughts were kind of going through my mind as I was in the midst of this, you know, loud and intense situation and it was just it was just all encompassing so he was able to actually dodge it the first few passes mm. so that is inconceivable as well yeah. the idea that you could just kind of outmaneuver it at first well yeah until it some gets... of those charges are, are they, they call them bluff charges right. kind of veers away at the last minute as it sizes you up it's an on, it's not a fair fight 17 year old versus grizzly bear there's only really ever going to be one outcome and it's going to be up to the bear to decide how that's going to go so the bear was apparently according to alec growling and, and huffing panting at him and as he got close the noises became you know viscerally loud as well and he was adding to the din by yelling at the top of his voice as well so i asked him whether his mind at this point went into a state of shock 
you know, there's a, a saying that you don't rise to the occasion, you fall to the highest level of your training. So I was really fortunate in that I was coming into this situation with some training on at least, you know, here are some steps that you should follow. Once I got kind of through to the end of, of those steps, basically, I was, you know, my, my brain was making it up. But when you provide your brain with the options and kind of those algorithms of what to do, it's going to more likely default to those choices that are pre-programmed. You know, if, if I hadn't gone through that training, I very certainly could have just turned and run because that was an incredibly compelling idea just to get <laughs> out of that situation and to not be 30 feet from this bear, not to be 15 feet from it. Do you think if you had run, it would have killed you? If I'd run, I think it would have uh, chased after me and I think I would have been in much worse shape. I certainly could have been killed. I certainly could have been killed the way that it played out. Um, but if I had run, that bear would have likely seen me as prey and just defaulted to its chase instinct coming after me and um, doing as much damage as quickly as it could to me once it, it arrived. Yeah, I mean, because these animals are capable of, of killing, you know, fully grown moose. So I mean, they, they are right. a seriously powerful animal. So I just wonder... Well, how, how are you sat here now, I guess, is the, is the real question, because it's it's on top of you. It's attacked you. It's 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 latched onto you. And uh, I believe that, that, you know, it sunk its teeth into you. Yeah. After it, it hit me across the face and it threw me down to the ground and its jaws were at the top of my leg and it bit down. And I felt that from both sides with the teeth. And basically, that was it for me. I was I was sure that I was about to die and the lights went out and that was the last instant I remember with that bear right there and what happened next was I basically lost consciousness I had a vasovagal response from those teeth going in and it hit my kill switch and I, I blacked out and in blacking out I played dead essentially <laughs> I played dead very effectively and this bear was essentially defending itself. This was very classically a defensive encounter where the bear did not see me as prey. It didn't see me as a food source. Now, if it had, that would have been a whole another level of horrifying. And uh, <laughs> I'm very glad that it didn't see me as food. But seeing me as a threat, once that threat was eliminated, I was down, not moving. It decided that its job was done. So uh, Alex had kind of inadvertently followed what they should all tell you, which is to play dead in this situation. But, you yeah. know, easier, wow. said, easier said than done, certainly when you're conscious. But he wasn't on this occasion. And after a short while, he regained consciousness. The bear was still there on the premises. He could still see it. Oh it, was, it was retreating, but it was still in view. And he was obviously still in a very precarious position. So what happened next? When I came to and realized I hadn't died it was kind of like this elation it was the worst moment of my life followed by the best moment of my life and then I saw that the bear was still there and I realized that it could very well turn into that situation again you know the worst possible thing that could happen is what had just happened to me and it could happen again right now and so I wanted to do everything I could to not uh, have the bear come back and and basically finish the job that it had started as it was going it just was watching me that whole time shifting from shoulder to shoulder and that gaze it was 
it was an odd gaze. Like I've I've kind of anthropomorphized this bear a little bit, and and I feel like when it saw me, it was confused and it was trying to decide. It was trying to make a decision as to what it was supposed to do. And then when it turned and it was looking at me again on the way back over the ridge, I I felt like it was. And it, it kind of looked like fear. I don't know why. I, I mean, this bear was in a situation it didn't understand. It was trying to eliminate a threat it hadn't likely encountered before. And then once that threat was eliminated, it wanted to leave um, and, and to, you know, ensure its own safety. So fear is probably not the right thing. But as it was looking at me, it was just like this odd connection with this animal. And yet somehow to me, that's one of the most terrifying instances of this whole story is that you've you felt the worst of it you felt its teeth into your body to the mm. point that you passed out from it you felt what it's like to have it basically on top of you with its claws into you and then you see it there as you're awake and conscious just thinking this could yeah, happen like again at any nightmare. second yeah. yeah and then obviously you know you're just waiting at that point it's like it's like being in the ocean just waiting for a shark to come back. It's just you, you don't you don't know where it is or, or you kind of it could happen at any time and it's not up to you. You're not in control. Yeah. And I always think it's interesting, you know, the tendency of these these guys, these survivors of these attacks to as he mentioned there to kind of try to get inside the head of their attacker because, you know, animals don't don't think like we do. They don't they yeah. don't operate like they're operating on a totally different kind of uh you know, instinctual level, maybe. And, um, you know, as he says, it was it was just doing something that, that it needed, it felt it needed to do. But, um, you know, he'd sustained some quite severe injuries and he didn't want to risk making a dash for it with the bear still close by. So he waited as long as he could. He says they were the longest seconds of his life. And then ultimately he could wait no longer. It was it was time to make a run for it. Got up as quietly as I could. I felt my leg and it was wet and I I knew that it was going to be covered in blood and I looked at my hand and it actually wasn't it was bare saliva all gooey between my fingers oh. and that was a great realization um that I wasn't completely covered in blood um uh, but I my leg was was pretty injured and and it was not quite moving right but I had a huge amount of adrenaline surging so I grabbed my pelican case and some of the things that had kind of fallen out of my pockets cuz I just I was just like instinct get your things and go got those things and I started going back to camp as quickly as I could. It was 200 yards as the crow flies and that last 50 yards were that 100 vertical foot ridge that I had climbed up. So far enough away that they had no idea what was happening whatsoever and it was a long 200 yards. We are creatures of habit yeah. because, you know, you're still picking up things <laughs> you've dropped. Things oh, I, I mustn't litter the place. <laughs> just nearly been eaten by a bear. But, you know, I'll have to pick up this camera that I've dropped. Yeah. It's so true when he said that. Get your things and go is an instinctual response. Mm. I think there is some truth to that. Yeah. 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 Pack up your belongings. Yeah. You know, well, for some reason, they hold immense value, I suppose, in these situations. Yeah. But look, he wasn't out of the woods at this point. Um, he had survived. He was relieved. Um, you know, the, when he got back to the group, there was elation. The group were relieved that he'd survived. But they were still in the middle of nowhere and he desperately needed medical attention. And they had a satellite phone. The guy, Dan, was trained as a, a wilderness responder. And they discovered that they couldn't get a chopper. Uh, luckily, Alex was was stable. The main injury was was right next to his femoral artery. But had it hit that artery, oh. it, it would have been very, very different. I, he would have probably 
he would have probably you know died from blood loss but it hadn't that was the good news um so the best option was to continue paddling on this river to a place called baker lake so alex had the chance to to get back in the canoe and and continue he had to he had no other choice so i i had to ask him you know how was the pain once the adrenaline wore off it was a lot of muscle damage uh, mostly on the at the top of my leg my my thigh and my my kind of hamstring area um but when I would move and engage those muscles, it was very painful. Um, I'd say that some of the irrigation that we had to do to clean out the wounds, that was excruciating. That was direct nerve contact with cold <laughs> flowing water. And, oh. um, you know, it was, a, it was a lot. It was a big spectrum of, of uh, feelings, I'd say. Yeah, <laughs> but because... if I wasn't moving, <laughs> if I was in the right position, it actually didn't really hurt that much it was kind of like this warm bruise ache right. feeling so and 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 dan did actually perform a bit of very amateur style surgery is that is that correct yeah like i said he was talking with medical control and um you know as as things progressed it was clear that some wound debridement or removal of dead tissue was um was going to be necessary and so um, we did some some field uh, expedient uh, wound debridement with some tools that you probably wouldn't necessarily find in the operating room. Oh, when he talked about the nerve exposure to cold water, I just Ooh. literally winced in my seat. Mm. Eventually, they, they did reach the tiny settlement, a place called Baker Lake. And at this point, Alex Alex's wound had become infected, so they urgently needed treatment. So he was flown down to Winnipeg. He got his meds, he got the sort of post-exposure med- medication and ultimately, you know, I-, I wanted to find out for him what it was like to be sort of back in civilization, reunited. He said it was very surreal seeing his parents, they were very supportive. But how did he kind of initially process what had happened to him, the trauma? I realized early on that this definitely had the potential to prevent me from going out into the wilderness in the future. I knew that it could keep me from doing those things that I wanted to do and that it would probably take a lot of work for me right. to overcome those challenges. And so I started as quickly as I could, which took a little time, I started to go back into the woods and sort of like <laughs> dose myself with getting back towards true wilderness, you know, started with a cabin and, and then, you know, eventually made it to um, other camping and things like that. And it took a lot of willpower because it was basically any branch snapping in the woods or, you know, surprise or something. And I was just instantly in this like high stress reaction mode where I'm like, what's, you know, what's coming or what's next or what's behind that shadow or boulder or things like that. So gradually kind of uh, dosing myself back towards that and then, um, telling the story and trying to better understand what had happened. Um, Those were two really important facets to my uh, kind of overcoming and and coming to terms with this trauma that had happened. Did you get flashbacks? Did you have bad dreams? Did you suddenly find yourself there again, you know, before you knew it? Was, Was that happening? I didn't really have the flashbacks and like that transportive feeling where you're in the situation again. What I would have is um, I'd have some nightmares and they usually weren't replays. They were uh, like projections. So I would have nightmares with bears and sometimes they would be in the room that I was sleeping in, which is a very odd sort of vivid 
um, fusion of, of dream and reality. So I would like one of the early ones was a week or so after it ha- after I came back and I was sleeping in a, like a bunk house. And in this dream, there was this bear just like mine standing in the middle of the room, just like breathing. And that was just terrifying and nothing happened. And obviously it was a dream, but, um, it was like this presence of the bear was there and it was reminding me that it was there. So Alex decided to kind of do this cathartic thing to write the book and the dreams actually intensified as he began writing his book, The 29th Day, Surviving a Grizzly Attack in the Canadian Tundra. And eventually he actually joined his local volunteer wilderness search and rescue team. He used his experience to help others, which was an amazing thing to do. And he says that despite the trauma of the experience, he doesn't want to let go of it. He doesn't want to forget it. I, I don't want to forget what happened. It was traumatic and it was terrifying, but it was incredibly important and a huge part of my life. And it, you know, put me on a a path that um, that I wouldn't necessarily have been on. Uh, it certainly, you know, changed my vector. And I don't want to lose the raw experience of what happened. So when I do kind of get those real memories, I actually try to hold on to them and I try to let them play out as much as they're going to. It might be a snippet of sound. It might be a feeling. But I I don't want to lose that human experience. What a powerful story. Yeah, because, you know, we spoke to Joe Simpson, who who uh, who touched in the void, the mountaineer, yeah. who, who, um, who was so harrowed by what happened to him that he kind of used the book to just kind of expurge it all and get it all out and then he never really kind of delves into it again psychologically and Alex was a little bit different you can actually find out more information on his book and more on him when you can check out his website alexmessenger.com what an amazing interview Rob really appreciate oh, it really much, enjoyed that I was captivated through and through from the start to well, finish well that's that's all down to Alex he, he told a great story and uh, yeah I mean he uh, his book has done very well as well it was on the New York Times bestseller list and um, you know he I think he was up for a, a, a Minnesota authors award as well so yeah. I didn't even I wasn't even aware that there were such things but uh, he was up for one of those and um, you know he spoke really really viscerally and captivatingly about something that you know I think a lot of us would find it very difficult to articulate if that happened to us 